In a society obsessed with diversity and inclusion, there is now a new category of people who are apparently open season for harassment, intimidation, hatred, and even incitement of violence. I'm talking about Russians. I'm Candace Malcolm, and this is The Candace Malcolm Show. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in. Now, as you know, over the years, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau used to talk a good game about protecting our charter of rights and freedoms. He would say he would protect it at all costs, even when it's unpopular. Well, that all went out the window, as you know, during COVID, when Trudeau would regularly suspend our charter rights due to public health emergencies or public safety emergencies or any other emergency that he could think up. He also began to regularly scapegoat and demonize the unvaccinated. They don't deserve charter rights. They're racist, he told us. Well, Trudeau used to also insist that a Canadian is a Canadian is a Canadian, even if that Canadian happened to be a foreign-born jihadist terrorist who joined a foreign military and picked up arms against Canada. It didn't matter, Trudeau said. He's still a Canadian, and he's still deserving of your respect. At the height of ISIS's reign of terror in the Middle East and Europe, Trudeau would regularly scold Canadians and accuse them of Islamophobia. During the height of COVID, when we learned that the communist Chinese government hid the extent of the virus, we also learned that the virus likely leaked from a virology lab in Wuhan. Well, Trudeau government once again accused Canadians, scolded Canadians, and told us that we were stoking anti-Chinese bigotry. Well, the latest conflict in Ukraine has seen something totally different from Justin Trudeau. We haven't heard any of that from our prime minister. Instead, we've heard him blame Russians, and he's made no attempt whatsoever to separate the Putin regime from the peaceful and good-hearted people of Russia. Well, Justin Trudeau is not alone. This is one of the craziest headlines I have seen in a long time. It's an exclusive from Reuters that came out over the weekend. It says, exclusive, Facebook and Instagram to temporarily allow calls for violence against Russians. Yes, you heard that correctly. Facebook will lift its policies about hate speech and allow people in some countries to call for violence against Russians, not just Russian military, not just Vladimir Putin, but call for violence against Russian people. So there you have it. They can just revoke your rights and ignore crimes. Inciting violence is fair game on Facebook, so long as it's directed towards Russians. This is really, really scary stuff. Unsurprisingly, we've now seen an uptick in crimes committed against Russians here in Canada, whether it's vandalizing Russian-owned businesses or a Russian cultural center in Vancouver, British Columbia. We've also seen open discrimination against the people of Russia and Russian origin here in Canada. My guest on the podcast today is freelance journalist and National Post columnist Rupa Subramana, and she recently wrote about a 20-year-old Russian pianist who has been cancelled simply for the crime of being born in Russia. So Rupa, welcome back to the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Candice, for having me here. So why don't you tell us a little bit about the story that you wrote in the National Post, Cancel Culture Rears Its Ugly Head in the Russia-Ukraine Conflict, and about this 20-year-old Russian protege pianist who apparently can't play in Canada anymore because he's Russian. Well, yes, uh, Candice, I mean, this is uh, really quite something, and I have been uh, really taken aback by this. Uh, so the Orchestra Symphonique de Montréal, uh, which is uh, one of Canada's premier uh, symphonies, uh, canceled um, Alexander Malafiev. Uh, he's, by all accounts, a prodigy. Um, and uh, because 
uh, of the simple fact that he's Russian. Um, and, 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 you know, the, what, what makes this extraordinary is that uh, the pianist has a, had act, actually come out against the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Um, and, and so when uh, a media organization reached out to the orchestra um, uh, to get their um, views on this, the a spokesperson said that it would be inappropriate for uh, Malafiv to perform at this time. Uh, and, and what I want to say is that this is just you know, a spate of cancellations that, that we've seen recently since the conflict broke out. Uh, we've seen uh, Russian artists, conductors. Um, I, I have seen, it, this has been especially bad in the cultural, in the arts sector, um, more than anywhere else. I mean, you've seen countries sanction uh, Russia, um, they've uh, weaponized finance, they have, uh, countries have suspended their operations in Russia, you've seen that. But uh, for some reason, it seems to be especially bad in the arts and cultural, uh, classical music world, um, whether it's museums or uh, orchestras around the world, um, especially in Europe and, and, uh, and the US and Canada. And so what's going on here is that uh, it's basically open season on, uh, uh, on anyone who's seen as um, not sufficiently critical of, of Russia of, or the invasion, or if you choose to stay neutral, or you don't want to weigh in on this, you, you just don't want to be political, you just want to remain as apolitical as possible. And there are lots of people like that. There are people who don't want to see an escalation of the conflict, you know, they'd rather not take sides. And those people are being punished. Uh, and it's gotten so ridiculous that um, there's this one egregious example here in Ottawa um, um, of, of a restaurant called the uh, uh, Moscow Tea Room, I believe. Uh, it's on Sussex Drive. It's a very prominent establishment. And uh, the owner is Lebanese Canadian. He came, he came to this country escaping the war in Lebanon. Uh, he came as a refugee. And he's been uh, receiving a spate of hate mails and threaten, uh, death threats threats because they think he's Russian or that he has some kind of a Russian connection um, uh, by way of this restaurant. So it, it's, quite, uh, it's quite stunning uh, what's been happening. But what I'm taken aback uh, uh, by is the fact that our political class has largely remained silent or looked the other way uh, when, it's, uh, it, you know, when, when, when these things have been reported. Now, they're usually very quick to condemn uh, this kind of thing. And you gave, you, 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 you know, you gave several examples early on, um, you know, when it came to uh, not calling this the Chinese virus, because, you know, that would be seen as um, uh, offensive to, uh, to, to, pe uh, to, to the Chinese people or people of uh, Chinese origin. Uh, and there are many such examples, but it seems we, we're almost, witnessing um, a moment in, in in history right now, a moment right now where it's okay to actually hate on the Russians. It's okay to, um, you know, say anything you want against them. And certainly uh, Facebook and Instagram uh, coming out with this, um, um, with this policy uh, as, ex as exposed by Reuters, that, uh, that it's, that it should be, it's, it, it's no longer, it wouldn't violate their terms of conditions um, 
to to uh, incite violence against uh, uh, Russians or Russian soldiers. Now, what's interesting is that when the headline first came out, it said Russians in the headline, and then they modified it to Russian soldiers. But the text of the story still says Russians and Russian soldiers, and they've 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 kind of. Um, uh, you know, said since that no, it's not. You know, we st it's it, Russians. The you know we're we're still not going to allow hate speech against Russians. But you know, the language is pretty vague, and the cat is out of the bag at this point. And uh, and 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 it, you know, what's more is that we've also normalized the Azov Battalion, which is another extraordinary part of this. Uh, we've uh, normalized uh, neo Nazis. We like. Um, and uh, and now these 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 guys are menacing. Uh, they're uh, uh, by all accounts, um, you know, uh, far right and um, uh, anti-Semitic. And this has all been well documented. Uh, the Canadian military has, in fact, trained the Azov Battalion. The Azov Battalion is not some fringe group. They're part of the Ukrainian National Guard um, and a very significant part of the Ukrainian National Guard. But any um, um, you know, if you if you were to point to the Azov Battalion and in the, and the problems they pose, um, you know, I, one receives a lot of pushback saying, well, you know, it's just a small fringe and they don't really represent, um, you know, anything much beyond the fact that they're just a small far right fringe group. But that's not correct. Uh, they're they're very prominent um on the on Ukrainian streets, any any um, and, and you know it was thanks to the mainstream media uh, that we know of the Azov Battalion, uh, and they were reporting on the Azov Battalion uh, before the conflict uh, broke out. You know, it was uh, they were they were rightly reporting on them and, uh, and 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 rightly exposing them for what they what they are. But what we're seeing right now is an attempt to basically whitewash them. Uh, you 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 know, and and that's uh, quite. Uh, troubling um, and and scary because we've uh, now reached a point where we we're basically normalizing these things because because they're on our side essentially right that's what it amounts to well it's it's really wild the extent of it I I know um, this is sort of a rabbit hole to go down but it it was the legacy media at one point that was ringing the alarm bell about the rise of the far right in Eastern Europe. Uh, I didn't pay much attention to it, to be honest, at the time, because we hear the legacy media cry wolf so frequently about the far right in North America, and it's usually just a bunch of nothing, right? Uh, they accuse uh, Jewish journalist Ezra Levant of being a far right, um, and and that's sort of laughable given that again he he's Jewish and he's he's been a longtime free speech crusader. Um, however, I, I have started to look down this uh, documented by Legacy Media, picked up a lot by left wing media outlets and left wing groups. There was a long piece in a, a, a weekly magazine called The Nation. Um, which happens to be the U.S.'s longest-running uh, weekly newsletter. It was uh, started in 1865 by a group of abolitionists who were opposed to slavery. Um, anyway, they're, they're a progressive outlet, and they they wrote about an individual called Andre Paraby. I had a piece about him in True North this morning. And uh, basically, this guy was a, a neo-Nazi in the 1990s. He was uh, created a, a far-right political party, a racist ultra-nationalist party, uh, limited to... 
uh, white Ukrainians only. So, so we're talking about real far-right Nazi-like racism. He, he styled the party after Hitler's Nazi party. He even called it the uh, Social Nationalist Party, a, a sort of take on the National Socialist Party, which creates, uh, which was the formation of the Nazi party in, in Nazi Germany. Anyways, uh, this guy was a part of the mainstream Ukrainian government. He was the Speaker of the Legislative House. He met frequently with Justin Trudeau and Chrystia Freeland. Chrystia Freeland uh, you know, posted pictures of herself with this guy on her Facebook page, on the uh, embassy website. Uh, all you have to do is just Google this guy to find pictures of him wearing Nazi-style uniforms, um, you know, talking about racial nationalism, um, founding this party that remains the ultra-right party in Ukraine. And it's all kind of hidden in plain sight, uh, Rupa, and, and yet no one's really holding our politicians accountable. I know we talked about this before, the fact that uh, Christia Freeland was seen holding a Nazi banner and the media just sort of uh, whitewashed it and said it, was, it, was, it wasn't really blood and soil. It, it meant something different and, and coming up with a bizarre explanation. Um, so, uh, you know, let, let, let's pivot and talk a little bit about Christia Freeland. Uh, you know, wh why is it that the media and the Canadian government is so dead set on whitewashing Ukraine, telling us that they are a, uh, you know, pristine Western liberal democracy and that they are, uh, you know, worthy of us perhaps getting involved in, in, a, in a catastrophic war on the other side of the world? Uh, you know, wh what do you think is behind all this? Well, um, that's a great question. I um, do think that this, the stakes are very high here for the West, right? They see, and, and it is very high for Russia. Um, the conflict, I think a lot of people don't really understand what this conflict really is about. They've uh, bought the narrative that it is a good versus evil. Uh, um, um, you know, it's been set up as a good versus evil thing, us versus them. Um, and that's mainly um, um, a narrative that has come out from the West. And a lot of people just have bought into it. But I, I bet, you know, if you stop the average person on the street and ask them, well, what do you think this conflict really is about? Why do you think Russia is doing what it's doing? Why, why is the West responding the way it's responding? I don't think anybody really understands what NATO is about or what NATO's relevance was after the Cold War ended. Um, and, and spheres of influence, ask anybody, what does sphere, a sphere of influence mean to you? Um, and, uh, and would the U US be comfortable if there were nukes pointing at it from Mexico or Canada? Um, or, and that's, that's basically what Russia's been see, uh, saying for, uh, for, for about a decade or more, um, since about 2005, I think, when Vladimir Putin at that famous Munich Security Conference uh, made it very clear that uh, you know, Ukraine was Russia's sphere of influence. Uh, these are details that the average person just doesn't understand. So we've see, what we're seeing is a replay of, um, of uh, very much in place during the um, um, uh, shortly after 9/11, uh, it was very similar. Uh, we didn't have social media at that time, uh, but a lot of the media coverage was about good versus evil, uh, us versus them, uh, with us or against us, as George Bush famously said, and and that's exactly what is going on right now. Uh, but what is extraordinary about this is that it's happening in the era of social media. Um, and, uh, and you would think that, you know, there, there are people who are questioning this narrative, but by and large, the mainstream media is um, bought into this us versus them. They, they, they you know, you're seeing uh, them towing 
the government line, uh, looking at government press, uh, pointing to government press releases uh, to say, hey, you know, uh, you're, you know, this is a fact check using a government press release and a fact check saying, well, that's why this the story is wrong because the government said so. Now, when was the last time you you know you accepted everything a government said with you know and 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 you know didn't question it or challenge it challenge it enough, and that's what's going on right now. So for for our politicians, I think you know they they, they have a particular interest here to ensure that this narrative continues, um, that that this narrative there isn't pushback against this narrative and i think that's what we're seeing with the likes of um uh, christian freeland or justin trudeau uh they're trying to normalize this you know good versus evil battle um and and so anything um that was bad about ukraine which, which in fact the legacy media the mainstream media exposed all of these things uh zelinsky was uh he shows up in the panama papers for example zelinsky shut down the kiev post uh, because the Kiev Post was going after Zelensky, uh, and this happened just less than a year ago, last fall, back in November, the Kiev Post was shut down, and the editor of the Kiev Post said, um, we've gone through all kinds of presidents, all kinds of ruling dispensations, but we've never had we've never had to shut down. It, it's only happened under Zelensky. Um, and um, because they were they were questioning Zelensky's, the Kiev Post was questioning Zelensky's um, uh, liberal image that he had projected to the world. And they, they were challenging that. And so they, they were shut down as a result. And then that morphed into the Kiev Independent. Now, what's interesting about the Kiev Independent is that it receives money from Western governments. Uh, so much for their independence. Uh, Canada gave, um, I think, uh, $200,000 back in December and was, again, reported in the mainstream media. It was reported by the Globe and Mail. Uh, we're not, so, you know, so when we when we uh, accept what is coming out of Kiev independent, um, and, and a lot of people are, they're just, they, they just retweet these new, uh, these tweets, uh, you know, without challenging it in the tiniest bit, you have to, wonder what you know what what that is about um uh, if the russians are capable of propaganda uh the ukrainians are also capable of propaganda uh, so are western governments um and so we're seeing uh you know a normalization of these very um uh, unsavory aspects uh, a whitewashing of uh, ukraine's past whitewashing of this conflict uh you know no one's actually um actually thinking clearly through these issues. We're just, because I think it's easier for the brain to process this as binaries, uh, moral binaries. And, and that's where we're at right now. Well, there isn't a journalist in the world that Justin Trudeau won't buy out and won't pay, apparently, because he's willing to pay off the Canadian media. And apparently he's willing to fund Ukrainian uh, media as well. It seems like we're making so many of the same mistakes, Rupa, that we did after 9-11 that led us to incredibly uh, horrific bloodshed in, in the Middle East. And, and uh, you know, you, usually you would want to be skeptical and hold both sides accountable. Uh, we, we saw last week uh, the Ukrainians uh, uh, pulling out a, a prisoner of war, uh, allegedly, and, 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 you know, having him answer questions from the media and sort of repeat these uh, confessions saying I was wrong and, and now I've seen the light. Um, this is specifically banned in the Geneva Convention. You're not supposed to use 
use prisoners of war for propaganda purposes. And yet we had the media in Canada and all over the world gleefully uh, sharing this video of this soldier. Um, I, I, I pointed out, as many did, that these were this contravenes the Geneva Convention uh, on the Treatment of War Prisoners. And, uh, you know, David Aiken, the uh, the uh, uh, you know, seasoned journalist and a bureau chief for Global News uh, accused me of pearl clutching. So apparently, uh, the Geneva Convention. Anyone who cares about the Geneva Convention is is simply uh, pearl clutching. There's a broader issue here, though, Rupa, which is that we're not properly holding our politicians to account. The media just isn't doing the job that it's supposed to. Uh, one of the other pieces uh, that you wrote is really interesting. I know this is a year old, but people keep sending it to me, and there's a lot of public interest around the World Economic Forum and Chrissy Freeland role with it because, you know, she's the finance minister of Canada. So first of all, she's supposed to be holding a domestic portfolio, which would which would mean that she should be in Canada focused on keeping Canada's uh, uh, budget balanced or keeping her finances in order. For some reason, she's in Europe sort of taking the lead as if she was still the foreign affairs minister, which she is not. Uh, but, But also the fact that she sits on the board of this wonky organization that calls for all kinds of crazy leftist schemes. Now, I know that there's a lot of conspiracy theories around the World Economic Forum. Uh, you have a great line in the piece where you say there's no need to invent conspiracy theories. The attempt to the attempt by global elites to subvert local democracy is fully on and in plain view. Sometimes I wonder, I've done a lot of research on Chrystia Freeland lately, uh, learning about her past, learning about the involvement uh, in Ukraine that she's had over the years. She's really an activist over there. The former Canadian um, ambassador to Moscow met her when she was in her 20s and she was working over there as a journalist, and he described her as a Ukrainian patriot, right? Um, I don't think that I've ever heard her described as a Canadian patriot, but she is a Ukrainian patriot. She's deeply involved. Her mother helped draft that country's constitution after it uh, became independent from the USSR in the 90s. So she's deeply involved in, in, in Ukraine, as is her her whole family that's where she immigrated from or her her ancestors immigrated from uh, tell us a little bit about the world economic forum and christia freeland's role there why that concerns you and 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 let's talk a little bit about uh whether or not there's a conflict of interest and why there isn't more scrutiny of christia freeland who's a deputy prime minister the finance minister the most important female politician probably the most powerful woman in all of canada and yet the media can't be bothered um to you know scrutinize her or, or try to hold her accountable in any way shape or form well, so the World Economic Forum is this glitzy um, um, uh, gathering of, uh, of uh, the who's who of the you know the world of finance, politics, uh, you name it, um, and you know they've been meeting at this Swiss ski resort of uh, of Davos since I think by uh, since 1971, and it's it was created by the the German academic uh, uh, and entrepreneur Klaus Schwab, um, and what what um, what is interesting about Christian Freeland's connection to the World Economic Forum is that Christian Freeland used to be a, a critic of the World Economic Forum. In fact, she wrote a book about the World Economic Forum, um, um, or she wrote a book about the rise of the new global super rich um, and and the fall of everyone else. That's what it was called, um, plutocrats. Um, and and she said that um, that you know an invitation to Davos, um, quoting from her book. Marx and aspiring plutocrats arrival on the international scene. 
when she wrote this book and she wrote an opinion piece in The Guardian, uh, uh, Christian Freeland joked that, you know, after her book was published, uh, she was disinvited to all of the dinner parties at Davos. From that, that was back in 2015, we now have Christian Freeland sitting on the advisory board of the World Economic Forum. Um, she also used to sit on the board of the Aspen Kiev Institute uh, in Ukraine. Um, and, uh, and I believe she resigned from that post uh, May 2021, um, but, uh, but she, was, she was certainly a part of their board uh, till then. Um, and and what, is, what, what, I, what I find interesting about this is that, now think about, think about this example hypothetically, suppose you have the Minister of Health um, sitting on the board of a big pharma company or a lobby group um, or, uh, or, or you know, on behalf of the tobacco industry. Um, I think at a bare minimum, that would be bad optics, right? I, I, I don't think I'd be alone in, um, uh, alone in saying that. Um, but for some reason, um, we seem to think that uh, NGOs, are, should be treated differently. Um, you know, politicians can't sit on corporate boards while in office, but why should they be allowed to sit um, on the boards of NGOs? And the World Economic Forum is not just some innocuous non-governmental organization. It is built around a very um, specific and radical ideology um, now called the Great Reset. You know, they advocate uh, for all kinds of things like uh, massive reductions in fossil fuel use, uh, prioritizing climate change, um, how climate change should, be, should become a core uh, component of central banking, uh, you know, and a position that our former governor here, Mark Carney, and uh, a potential uh, future uh, prime minister, uh, also believes in this very strongly. And I, I believe he's also on the board of the World Economic Forum. Um, um, and, and these, these policy positions, um, you know, have implications, uh, uh, you know, for a resource-rich country like Canada, uh, the, these are going to have major consequences. Um, so what it's bad optics um, to be on the board of these private organizations, um, but uh, she resigned, Freeland resigned from one, but she still remains on the other. Um, and, and given that she was a vociferous critic of the World Economic Forum, uh, she went from that to being an insider herself. Right. Plutocrats was a was a critique of these of these people. And now she's rubbing shoulders with them and wants to be part of it. There's a really infamous uh, image that the World Economic Forum put out. This become a meme on the Internet because it's so absurd. But it has a picture of a, a guy smiling and it says, you'll own nothing and you'll be happy, which, uh, you know, it perfectly sums up, first of all, what these people are after. You know, they don't they want uh, everyone to do ride sharing. They don't want you to own a car. They don't want you to own a house. They want you to rent. They want you to sort of give up everything and join this sort of new post-nationalist uh, ideology. Uh, but also how out of touch they are because they, they thought that that would be, you know, good branding for them or something to put something like this out. So uh, really, really strange. Now, I know there, there are a lot of conspiracy theories around this. People think that these uh, people orchestrated the pandemic and all that kind of stuff. Uh, I, 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 I think it's pretty clear that that didn't happen. However, these people are still pushing a leftist agenda. And the fact that they have, uh, you know, that the individual that you named, the founder, uh, Klaus Schwab, he, he there's a there's a video of him actually maybe we can play it um where he talks about how he's infiltrated cabinets including the canadian cabinet but um 
What we are very proud of now, the young generation like uh, Prime Minister Trudeau, um, President of, Brazil, of uh, Argentina and so on, that we penetrate the cabinets. So yesterday I was at a, at a reception for Prime Minister Trudeau and I know that half of this cabinet or even more half of, uh, half of this cabinet are for our actually young global leaders of the world economic forum. So a couple weeks ago, we had a conservative MP, Colin Carey, ask about this, and it was his question was ruled out on a point of order. An, an NDP MP accused him of disinformation and, and pushing conspiracy theories. So why is it that, again, in our political class and our media class, we're not even allowed to ask questions of the most powerful people in the world who are actively trying to push an agenda onto us? We can't ask questions about it because we're dismissed as disinformation and conspiracy theories. Everything is being dismissed as disinformation uh, and conspiracy theory these days. And it is basically, um, it puts an end to the conversation, right? Um, and uh, it's a very, um, very insidious um, uh, um, attempt at uh, basically trying to silence, um, um, you know, it has a chilling effect on free speech. Uh, and, uh, and and that's what's going on here. Um, I, I don't, you know, Yes, I mean there are conspiracy theories about Klaus Schwab. I don't, I don't buy into those conspiracy conspiracy theories. My problem is that um, you know when you look at the advisory board of the World Economic Forum, there's only one politician on there, and that's Christian Freeland. Uh, where, where the um, uh, you know where, where where are the Brits? Where where are the Americans? Um, I, I'm talking about the advisory board. I'm not talking about uh, previous fellows who became members, and you know, and maybe that page hasn't been updated yet. Um, and, and, you know, and those, some of those folks are now serving, uh, uh, you know, they're politicians now. So I'm not talking about those people. I'm talking about the advisory board, which is a very powerful body. And, um, and, and I think at the very least, I think, uh, you know, we, uh, an explanation is in order. Why does the finance minister of Canada sit on this um, a, a powerful uh, advisory board of the World Economic Forum. What is the significance of that? And there are questions. As a journalist, as a former journalist, Christian Freeland would be asking these very same questions. She would be a, uh, asking this question to the person who was very critical of the World Economic Forum. And so you've gone from an outsider to an insider now. How do you explain that? Um, and these are legitimate questions. And I think, I think, and these are uncomfortable questions. Perhaps that's why they're, uh, I find that when people can't answer these questions and it makes them uncomfortable, it, you know, and they don't want to go down this rabbit hole, uh, they're, they're uh, you know, they just um, um, silence you and they try to silence you and they call uh, call you um, and they, they, they accuse you of spreading disinformation, but it's not disinformation. These are very important questions and we need to continue asking them. Uh, the fact of the matter, um, um, uh, Candace, is that, um, you know, I happened to find this accidentally. I was actually going to be writing a bland piece about Davos and what they were going to be uh, saying and, you know, in the context of COVID. And I was just, just routinely just going through the advisory board. And I was shocked, you know, to see the finance minister of Canada on their list on the advisory board. The media had, you know, she's been on the advisory board for, I think, since 2018. The media had all of that time 
to point this out, uh, or for the fact that she was on the Kiev uh, Aspen uh, um, uh, in, uh, Institute in Kiev. Um, you know, they, they had ample time to point this out, but you know, I, I, I believe nobody did until I wrote this piece. And, um, and I was actually quite taken aback by the reaction to it because a lot of people hadn't, they weren't aware of it simply. And also the fact that she resigned from the Aspen Institute, that should have also been uh, newsworthy. I think, I think it should have been pointed out. Why was the finance minister, someone who has close personal ties to Ukraine, extremely close personal ties to Ukraine, um, you know, why, why was she on this board until recently? Uh, and these are questions that we're not raising because we um, are, I think, large sections of the media, the political class, um, uh, really don't want to go, go here for some reason um, because it might... I, maybe it's lazy, you know. I don't want to. I don't want to assume that everybody here, uh, you know, is sinister, and you know, and I, you know, I don't want to think that the whole that everything is a conspiracy theory. I think part of this is actually laziness. I, I think a lot of people just don't want to um, pursue these topics. You know, they're just happy with, just, you know, just reporting just verbatim government press releases and, uh, you know, and, 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 and pointing to those as facts uh, without actually questioning any of that. Um, so part of it is laziness. And I think part of it is also that some people have just bought into this narrative uh, and they would, uh, and, 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 and so asking these questions would actually challenge that narrative. Well, and we also know that uh, Chrissy Freeland's office particularly is very active in calling newsrooms and demanding corrections and changing stories because we we, we saw that come out of iPolitics when uh, one of their young reporters, Rachel Emanuel, who we had on the program yesterday, uh, she talked about how she wrote a critical piece of Freeland. Freeland's office called, yelled at her editor to the point where the editor unilaterally went and changed the story completely without getting her approval. Uh, that's the kind of sway that Freeland and her team have in Ottawa, that they can just call in newsroom, yell at them, and the story will magically change into a pro-Christia Freeland uh, piece. You know, when you have someone like Schwab openly saying that he has infiltrated the government, that that's very um, strong language to use. And I think that journalists, it's, it's probably a combination of, of the things you, you talked about, laziness, um, complicity, uh, a, a little bit of political interference. Um, but really, the outcome is that we have a media in Canada that doesn't do what it's supposed to do, it doesn't hold powerful people like Christia Freeland to account. Well, Rupa, we're so grateful that you have your voice in the National Post and that you uh, are doing your bit to uh, keep the legacy media honest. Uh, we appreciate hearing from you and thank you so much. Thank you, Candice. Rupa Subramana of the National Post. I'm Candice Malcolm and this is The Candice Malcolm Show.